0: With your MX card entertainment benefits like special ticket access and
1: pre-sales to select campus events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Hey, it's Doug Gottlieb. You know, our trusted partner, Tirect.com, for fast free shipping, free roadhouse protection, convenient installation options, and their great selection of the best tires, like the highly consumer rated Goodyear Assurance Weather Ready. But did you know they sell other automotive products, wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few. Everything you need to elevate your drive, simply go to TireRack.com sports. TireRack.com, that's the way tire buying should be.
3: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
2: This is the best of the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio.
1: Boom! What up, America? Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Coming to you from the city of Angels, where, uh, yeah, Dodgers let Los Angeles down last week, but the Rams picked him up. And the Lakers won again last night at Stables, beating the Memphis Grizzlies. Things... Shaping up on the west side. Raiders get a win in Miami. Uh, we got a lot to get to. We got college football, where from uh, hey, Ohio State's back to Ohio State's back. Um, we have the two, we we will announce the 2017 NFL September champions. We will announce the 2017 October Heisman Trophy winner. Uh yes, I know it's November. You'll understand when we get to it. We got a lot to get to today. But uh, let's start where uh, I don't know if they're shutting down Jameis Winston because of his terrible pregame speech where he was telling his teammates to eat the W. Yeah. Eat the W. That That was awkward. It was awkward. It's like one of those rants where you're just, you're, it's like Belushi in, um, in uh, uh, Animal House, right? Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! That's what it felt like. Jameis Winston being shut down for a substantial amount of time for the Buccaneers. They're 2-6. But there's more to it than the fact that Jameis Winston is throwing, uh, he's either throwing ground balls to his uh, wide receivers who aren't fielding it well, or there's something amiss with his arm. This team has chemistry issues. This team has had some injuries in the defense, which has caused it to be dysfunctional. This team is a mess. This team is going to fire their head coach. Then you go to New York, and the juxtaposition with the L.A. Rams, who come in and hung half a hundred on the Giants, and the Rams last year were the laughing stock of the National Football League against the Giants team which appears to have either quit or simply be at such an incredible talent disadvantage that they were completely incapable of competing with the Rams. That's a Giants team that was in the playoffs last year. Now, balance that out with the Eagles. Balance that out with the Rams. Balance that out with some of these other teams. What's in vogue in the NFL is The NFL has become an offensive league. The rules are set up so that offensive uh, skill position players can succeed more than fail. That people like when you score 50 points, far more so than when you score 10 and win. Offense wins. Defense still wins championship. Offense fills seats. Offense wins you fantasy football. Offense is fun. So what do you think it is? What, what is, look, we saw this. It didn't work with Mark Tressman, with the Chicago Bears. He was their quarterback guru, quarterback whisperer. Uh, he was promoted to head coach, and he could not handle the day-to-day responsibilities. And it is not working with Dirk Cutter. It doesn't appear to be working with Ben McAdoo either. And yet you look at Doug Peterson, who was uh, not even a coordinator or a quarterback coach, not calling plays with the Kansas City Chiefs. You look at Sean McVay, who was, in fact, a coordinator, is now calling plays and is also the head coach of the Rams. And you say, wait, Doug, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. The coordinator to head coach, it's it's a 50-50 shot. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And there's other factors at play. And I would tend to say there are other factors. Like advancing in your same shop is hard. Everybody says loyalty is rewarded. You come up, you start in the mailroom, you work your way up, and someday you, son, you could be head coach. Someday you, in turn, could be on air. Someday you, lowest man on the totem pole, could be top of the totem pole. It sounds great, but the truth is, it's the shine box theory, right? That's what the It's the shine box, it's... Uh, if you've ever seen Goodfellas, there's the famous scene in Goodfellas where Billy Batts is celebrating his birthday. And, of course, Joe Pesci's character is at the bar and Billy Bats gets back. He just got back out of prison. right? And he tells Joe Pesci's character to go get his shinebacks. Because back in the day, on his way up, he used to shine everybody's shoes. Like, I remember you when you worked in the mailroom. I remember you when you didn't call plays. I remember you when, and you carry that bias, as opposed to the ability to remake yourself elsewhere. The parallel in Tampa with Dirk Cutter is not that he was inexperienced. Dirk Cutter's been a head coach, albeit in college, before. It's not that Dirk Cutter's an idiot, doesn't know what he's doing. He's been successful calling plays in the NFL. It's that it's really hard to be the offensive coordinator and play caller of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and then being viewed as, okay, now I'm going to be the head coach. Ben McAdoo was the offensive coordinator play caller. Now he's the head coach. Peterson had to leave Kansas City. Kyle Shanahan had to leave Atlanta. It's Ben. Sean McVay had to leave D.C. Even Jay Gruden. Even Jay Gruden, who just beat Seattle on the road, Gruden was calling plays for the Cincinnati Bengals. So it's not that the coordinator to head coach doesn't work. It's that it's really hard from being an assistant to being a head coach in the same place. And the reason is very, very simple. right? Coaches usually do good cop, bad cop. You guys know good cop, bad cop? You do good cop, You do good cop, cop. I go do bad cop. You do good cop. And coordinators are almost always, almost always good cops. Right, Especially the offensive coordinator. Who didn't like the offensive coordinator? They call the plays. right? They draw things up in the dirt. They spread the football around. You got the quarterback's ear. But quarterbacks and offenses and coordinators are seen as soft. And on the defensive side of the ball, that means challengeable. We can challenge your authority. And when you heard Rodney Harrison on Sunday Night Football say, I think the Giants' defense quit... When you hear about the rumblings within the Tampa Buccaneers uh, locker room and and how dysfunctional it appears to be, the parallel is very simple. You bring offensive guys in from a different system, they can walk on walk in strong armed because you don't remember them shining shoes in the shoe box. In the shine box, excuse me. But if you were just calling plays three months ago or 15 months ago, and you're the offensive guy, you're soft, you want to throw passes, you want to talk quarterbacks, you want nothing to do with defense, you are challengeable. And in a world like the National Football League, where players are... Do you remember... um you guys remember in uh, Jurassic Park, how they talked about Raptors? Remember what they said about Raptors? They remember you. They not just they don't just remember you, but what are they constantly doing, John Ramos? They're constantly testing the fences, right? Right. Yeah. They never test the same fence part of the fence twice, but they're te- constantly testing the fences. That's what dudes are like in the NFL. They're constantly testing the fences, and when Ben McAdoo does nothing to keep Odell Beckham Jr. in line, the defense is like. He's soft. He's a pushover. I mean, did you hear Ben McAdoo when he was asked about his halftime speech yesterday?
0: Keep fighting. Keep coaching. Would you say that at halftime? Yeah. Um,
1: mm-hmm. hey, this- that was not. That was not doctored. That's actually what he said. He had either something went completely amiss that he didn't want to share or he had nothing to actually share at halftime. Keep fighting, keep coaching is the most cliche thing ever. Even if that's what he said, there's a bunch of dudes in the locker room going like, oh, this guy doesn't have it. Even if you don't know what you're doing, you walk into the locker room and you start kicking over trash cans and then you take a breath and you say, all right, we got a plan. Here's what we're going to do. But what appears to be blatantly obvious, Sean Payton was calling plays with the Dallas Cowboys. He went to New Orleans, became head coach. But staying in the same place, when they remember you as the coffee and uh, the the cream and sugar guy, look at Earl Watson. Earl Watson was the workout coach. He was behind the bench with the Phoenix Suns. All the players loved him, loved him. Man, this dude, Roy Watson, he gets it. He's like my age, He played in the league for 13 years, workout dude, gets it, love him. He becomes head coach, and all of a sudden they're like, "Well, he, you can't be everybody's friend anymore. Head coach, got to do bad things, got to cut dudes, got to call them in and ream them out. You got to ma- monitor defense, offense, special teams. Got to get onto your coaching staff. It ain't about just drawing up cute plays and trying to find mismatches. It's about managing egos day to day. And they will, like the Raptors, test that fence every day to see how much electrical charge is in it.
2: Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app.
1: Lance McCullers joins us on the Doug Gottlieb Show. They had the victory parade. He spent the night with his bay, of course, uh, that is the championship trophy, which was in his room in Los Angeles before they flew back to Houston. But more than anything, he got the start. He got the call to start Game 7 at Dodger Stadium, and he picked up the phone we called him today. Lance, how are you?
4: Hey, guys, doing great, man. Thanks for having
1: me. Uh, Lance, okay, so uh, l- let's let's just start with day of Game 7 of the World Series, right? It's all anybody could hope for, anybody could dream of. 20 years from now, when you have people – Little kids run around asking you about what that was like. What was the day leading up to the game like?
4: Well, I mean, the day before, I was I was ready to go out of the bullpen. So, um, you know, I was throwing. I, I was, you know, constantly being ready to come in for game six because we were treating game six like like a must-win game if we had the opportunity to win it late. So I was actually going to come in and close uh, game six if it got to that point. So I didn't even know I was – Actually, starting the game until after Game Six, uh, when when AJ told me. But honestly, I, I felt I felt awkwardly calm um, a little bit. I was I was pretty nervous in, in the ALCS pregame. When I say nervous, I, I was just pretty anxious to get out there. And then same thing in, in, in Game Three. But uh, the team had a, had a very a very weird calm about it. We, we felt very comfortable going into Game Seven and knew you know if we come and play our best ball, we're probably probably going to take home the championship.
1: Okay, so. Uh, remind me, like you were throwing at Dodger Stadium after Game Six. You're out there in the right. Did AJ tell you before that, and that's why you went out there and threw? Right. Yeah.
4: Exactly. Because you know I had tossed during the game a little bit in the pen, um,
1: and if I was going
4: to stay in the bullpen for Game Seven to potentially close the game in Game Seven, that's all I would have needed to throw. But you know I needed a little bit more work if I was going to start. You know to work on some of my stuff. So AJ called down, told me, "Hey, you're starting Game seven. So that's why I had to go out. Onto the field and play catch. Uh, I did the same thing in New York yep. uh, post game three before game four, but it was funny because I guess Clayton Kershaw had come to the mound at Minute Maid before he start. He was going to start game uh, game five. Yeah, he did. So he everyone, he stood up there saying, and he
1: and he was looking yeah. at it. And he was throwing. It, somebody said, "What you were you were?" They thought you were tweaking him.
4: Yeah, someone. A lot of people on Twitter, you know, people on Twitter like to come up with these crazy conspiracies. They they were saying that I was going out there to to get back for for him doing that to us at our field. And I was trying to make fun of him for doing it. And I was doing it for the cameras because I guess the post game show caught me throwing. It was nothing other than I literally hadn't thrown enough to be able to pitch the next day. So I had to get out there and and do my work.
1: Okay. So you get out there the next day and you even admitted as such afterwards that you, you didn't have it. Lance McCullers joining us on the Doug Gottlieb show on uh, a matter of fact, here's what you said after the game.
4: I knew I didn't have much to give other than just trying to gut it out as long as I could. The team knew, you know, that I know on a short leash, but everyone was ready to go in the bullpen today. And you saw all of our best guys come out of there and you know I gutted it out as long as I could. This is this is crazy.
1: Okay, so like uh, you're up there and obviously you had the two nothing lead. They had the errors in the first inning and the second inning you had the big you had the big home run. But, you know, there's 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 runners aboard and you survive those first two innings with without much in terms of your normal stuff. What's that feeling like of just hope, hoping that it's enough to get by?
4: Well, I mean, for me, it, it, what I meant by that was I, I just I don't think anyone has a whole lot left to give on November 1st. I mean, people forget that we're, we're playing baseball at, you know, full game speed really since middle of February when, when spring training hits. Because as soon as those lives start, as soon as those uh, spring training games get going, I mean, you, you, you give whatever you have at that point. Obviously, you build your strength during the season. But come November 1st, it's, it's been eight months. You know, guys are dealing with injuries. Guys are dealing with just being overall exhausted. So um, we had all of our guys available. So I know going into the game that, you know, I, I can read the writing on the wall. I need to give this team three or four good innings and uh you know i didn't have my best stuff but i was able to survive able to make big pitches got the outs when i needed them Uh, i'm accustomed to you know sometimes having to work in and out of trouble so i was pretty i was pretty proud that i didn't let the moment kind of kind of get too big on me and uh, even when i was you know kind of hitting guys um but hey i don't think any of those guys that i ended up by unfortunately hitting did much damage the rest of the game so maybe uh it worked out in the
1: long run. <laughs> you, you brush back to a Justin Turner getting pegged. How, how do you how do you keep your composure, right? Like you go out there, you got a two nothing lead and uh I mean like Chris Taylor li- starts out with a double and you get S- uh, Seeger to strike out, okay? But then you you hit Justin Turner. Um you struck out Bellinger, but uh, that was kind of a everybody was striking out Bellinger. I mean, but you hit two guys. How do you not like freak out? You're up there, it's game seven, get got a 2 nothing lead, and you just hit two dudes in the first inning, but you didn't freak out. How? Well, because that was my game plan
4: going into the game. I throw a lot of stinkers uh, down. I throw a lot of curveballs down. But the team, Dodgers are a very good down-hitting team. They struggle with more up in the zone. So I kind of changed my game plan going into game seven to pitch more up. And uh, I'm just not used to it. So some of those balls are getting away from me, but it wasn't like I wasn't trying, I was trying to execute my plan. And I almost, I guess you could say, I even executed it too well because I was getting up and in just a little bit too much. So for me, when I saw that happening, you know, from the outside looking in, it's easy to say he has no idea where the ball's going. But for me, when I'm trying to throw it up in there. You know, I'm just not doing a good enough job of, of staying online and really sticking it up in there. Um, I felt fine. I knew that, you know, leadoff double, no big deal. I got, I got Seager to punch. Then Turner, I hit Turner, and now I'm saying in my head, hey, double play, one pitch, two outs. And then once I got Bellinger out, I'm saying all you got to do is get one out here, even after I hit Puig. So I kind of try to keep it, keep it one, one out at a time, one pitch at a time, and I think that's how you don't let you know moments, you know, kind of get, get get on you too much.
1: All right, so you're a big silver lining guy, right? You're like, oh, I hit him, but at least now double play is back in. You're you're just a silver yeah, lining you have guy, to, that's
4: basically. You have to be. If you look at it, and you're saying, my goodness, I'm facing the hottest hitter, you know, Peterson, with the bases loaded in the first inning. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to be able to lead. Then before you know it, you're going to go to the grand slam. Uh, so, for me, it's just about, hey, make your pitches when you have to. Get big outs when you have to. And, uh, you know, I came out of the game. No runs came across um, when I was out there or of mine. And the guys came behind me, did a great job, like I said. So, uh, it was a full team effort in that game seven.
1: Uh, uh, George Springer was the MVP, and he goes from—I mean, he was—he really struggled against the Yankees to being right. uh, just a complete. After game one, he was completely and thoroughly dominant, right? Like he just—how does that—how does that happen? And, and please don't go. Well, that's just baseball. It's more than just. No, good. it's not just
4: baseball. Yeah. So how's that it, happen? It happens because you know George. George has been one of our guys all year, and everyone has confidence in him, and he knows that regardless of the outcomes because he's put himself in a position where he is, you know, held held high in in the eyes of all of us here with, with the Astros. He knows he's gonna be back out there. So his confidence wasn't down as far as am I going to be in the lineup, am I not gonna be in the lineup. He may have been a little frustrated because, you know, he wasn't he wasn't producing. But you have to remember this guy hit two eighty plus and thirty plus Homer's first half All Star. I mean, he's not really short sure on confidence. So he was just going to a little slump and he really started swinging at better pitches, honestly. And, and you can ask him, he started kind of tightening his zone up a little bit, started letting pitches come to him. You know, I think I'm not really a hitter. I did have an RBI in Game 7, but uh, I'm not really a hitter. So, uh, you know, I think I'm really happy for him because he really showed the world uh, what he's about.
1: Lance McCullers joining us on the Doug Gottlieb Show. Did, did you and your wife get invited to the Verlander wedding?
4: No, no. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know JV until uh, he, he just got traded over here. Um, but he he couldn't do the, he
1: couldn't do the last minute invite. Like, look, I know you guys got the whole thing, but I'm getting married. My wife, my wife and
4: I got married, um, almost two years ago now. And, uh, the, the, the invite list, the wedding list, who you weren't inviting, who you weren't inviting, um, was probably the most stressful moment, um, of our lives. Way, way worse than having to pitch into game seven. So I would never have expected, uh, him to give a late minute invite or anyone else. I know is getting married Hey, if you don't have room. Hey, no skin off your back. You can leave me off. I, I, I'm not. I'm not going to be offended.
1: You going to get him anything?
4: Uh, no, probably not.
1: Okay. I mean, what do you get the guy who has <laughs> everything? Uh, what was your What was your first song that you guys danced to? That's actually a very big. That's as big a decision as who gets invited and who doesn't. Because you're like, oh, so, this is our song. She's like, no, we're not playing. Baby got back. That is not our song. Our
4: first song yeah. was a uh, was a violin remix by Lindsey Sterling of uh, of John Legend's uh, All of Me. So. Uh, it was a. Uh, it was a. Uh, it's it's pretty. It's actually a pretty pretty cool remix. I think Wendy Sterling is is a super super talented um, artist. So it was pretty cool to be able to u- use that.
1: A Couple days ago, you guys did something with the local humane society, right? For trying to rescue dogs. You guys didn't rescue another dog yourself, did you?
4: No, no. We have two I ourselves know. already. Yeah. Um, we we actually we have adopted three total, but the third one um, is my brother's now uh, because our. She was a female, and our other female that we've had for a while did, didn't take to her too much. Um, but, no, we, we had a big adoption event. Uh, you know, a lot of animals got adopted. Some good money was raised. Uh, it's pretty cool to, to see the city support not only us on the field, but a lot of guys have some off-field um, endeavors that are close to our hearts, and, and we appreciate how, how they support us there, too. Uh,
1: okay, so um, I-, I saw the tweet when you had the championship trophy in your room. Um, as a guy who's the son of a former major leaguer to have that re- uh, that have that reality moment of holy cow we we just did it um and i was on the mound to start game 7 like what what is that moment like where you realize kind of like your life his life all the intersections and you finally reach the top of that mountain
4: well it's kind of crazy man i've been people will always ask you how does it feel to you know be a world champion how does it feel it's, it's hard to put in a word you just feel vindicated almost like all the hard work, you know, obviously you feel that way when you get to the big leagues, but when you get here, you have, you have aspirations to win a world championship and uh, you know, coming into the season. There was there was, a, there was a lot of pressure on us. I don't even want to call it pressure. I would say expectations on the team to, you know, uh, be a very good team and to achieve a lot. And so to be able to do that and, you know, bring the city a championship and which this season is starving for one for a long time. And especially everything everyone's had to go through. Um, and the way we did it, I think, I think it was just, it's just a, a, a big sigh of relief and, and a lot of a lot of hard work that's come to fruition. It was cool. After we got back from the game, I, I stole the trophy out of the locker room and brought it down into the lobby with all the Astros fans that were um, kind of held up in the lobby. And my, my, my family was down there. They all got to see it and take pictures with it. Um, so it's been a long ride for a lot of us, and uh, some a lot more than others. But it was just a cool moment for everyone
1: to experience. All right. The thing i got to criticize you for is all the curveballs you've been throwing. I have... Right. I have an eight-year-old. We've watched all of your games, and he's like, "Dad, I see you have to throw a curveball." Look, he throws a curveball. All right. So, for the young, burgeoning pitchers out there, right, talking to somebody who has the most dynamic curveball in the playoffs this year, when do you start throwing it?
4: I started throwing my breaking ball when I was 16. Actually, um, I didn't. I didn't really pitch that much growing up. Um, after my freshman year at my high school in Tampa, I actually. Uh, committed to the University of Florida as a uh, position player, and uh, I started pitching more my sophomore junior season. And I learned my curveball uh, after my sophomore sum- during my sophomore summer. So going into my junior year is when I learned when I learned to throw the curveball. But the big thing for people asking all the time when to start throwing, I think the biggest thing is if you're listening out there, don't don't manipulate your wrist to make the ball make the ball move. Don't don't do something to get results that you know, it's abnormal for your arm, find a grip that works for you and works for your arm motion you know, that makes the ball move, move more naturally uh, and you, you should be just fine.
1: So, so like, like, if you do a C-grip, for example, you know, the old overhand curve that we were, we we're all taught, like, in, in, in Mustang or in Pony, right? It's the right. idea that your, your arm kind of naturally turns over more so than just kind of trying to twist your wrist because that puts the strain on your elbow? 100%. Because
4: so, when you come through and you finish, no matter what pitch you throw, your arm has to pronate. That's what kind of helps help protect your elbow, protect your shoulder, and helps your arm slow down. So when you're coming through and you're about to release that ball, if you have your you know your wrist locked or your hand you know really kind of spun around the baseball, when you throw that pitch, you're not allowing your arm to do its natural pronation. Post throw is when you're gonna tr- you're gonna run into injuries, serious injuries. You know I've been I've had a lot of nagging things that you know have put me on the DL here and there. Um, but you know, thankfully I have no major, major injuries. Um, but yeah, don't, don't manipulate the ball to do something that your body, you know, isn't willing to make it do.
1: All right, man. Well, listen, you, you stared down Aaron judge in one and you stared down the Dodgers in one, uh, the Houston Astros are world series champions and you're a huge reason why enjoy the victory lap. And thanks so much for joining us. Hey, guys, thank you. All right, that's uh, Lance McCullers, Jr. joining us.
2: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app.
1: Let's get to the Romo versus Dion first because it's great sound. And part of Sports Radio 101, kids, is you have great sound. You got to play it as often as possible. Tony Romo was calling his first Cowboys game yesterday as a member of CBS's lead broadcasting crew. He got a rousing ovation and a welcome back video. Romo, beloved member of the Cowboy community still, even though he lost his job to injury, which the stupidest thing we say every year is you never lose your job to injury. Yeah, Tony Romo just did. So uh, at some point during the game, I believe he was discussing Marcus Peters, who is a a very good player and maybe an overly discussed player. But he had this to say during the game. He's really
2: good out there at the corner off coverage, but in tackling, not his thing. <laughs> no, and he makes Deion Sanders
0: look good at tackling sometimes.
1: Right. So uh, he makes Deion set. Now look, anybody who was alive to through the Deion Sanders um, era, if you will, knew he was a spectacular kick and punt returner. Um, I don't think there's any question he's regarded as the best cover lockdown corner in the history of the National Football League. He had speed. Uh, He could read a quarterback. He seemed to be able to read his wide receivers. He was generally a menace. He retired a couple times, came out of retirement to play with the Ravens and still had incredible speed and gifts. But he was also a guy that stayed way the hell away from actual contact. That wasn't his thing. That wasn't his game. And pros always tell you, play to your strengths, not your weaknesses. So it was kind of funny. Cowboy on Cowboy. Hey, he makes Deion Sanders look like a good tackler. Funny? Here's Dion on NFL Network.
0: I I tried my best to take the high road. I don't know the address to the high (laughs) road. So I got to come at you, man. Ten years as a starter, you're two and four in the playoffs. You ain't won nothing. (laughs) I tried to bury the hatchet. Both of us work for CBS. I went and shook your hand and said, Tony, you're doing a great job this year. I thought that would be it. But nevertheless, you keep on shooting at me. (laughs) Tony, what's going on, man? I got a gold jacket that I didn't buy. Dak says hi (laughs) and bye. (laughs) Tony. Leave me alone, man. I got a lot of ammunition, man. In How many interceptions? In How many interceptions? 19 and 2012? Come on, man. You threw to everybody but me. Tony, come on, man. You know you never won the big one. You know you never won the big one. So stop, man. Leave me alone. I tried to take the high roll, but I don't know the answer.
1: What an a-hole. Deion Sanders is an a-hole. I work for CBS. Nobody was fired up about Deion Sanders coming back to work for CBS. Okay, it was because the NFL Network and CBS made a deal, and he's the NFL Network's guy. And, oh, yeah, by the way, Dion is very good on TV. And that's very, very funny. If, if Tony would have come at him personally and come at him, and attack, like, that would have been. But simply saying, uh, alluding to Marcus Peters being such a poor tackler that he makes Deion Sanders look good does not in any way open the door to you got, like, playoff record, Dak taking your job. What an a-hole. What a complete Hall of Fame a hole! Like did, like he just went totally personal in terms of your career. Like, well, he didn't talk about his wife. No, did he went personal? He went on all the different triggers of Cowboy fans. He acted like, look, I've been holding this back. I don't, you know, I've been holding this back and haven't let on, let in on Tony Romo for a long time. I never really liked him, but only because he works for CBS. I chose to keep my key. and he played for the Cowboys. Keep my mouth shut, but now I'm not going to. What a jerk. Who does that? And Chris Rose laughing. (laughs) It was funny. Unless you're Tony Romo. Like Romo was not out of there was there was I don't think anybody could listen to Romo and think it was mean spirited. And it doesn't mean that Dion is wrong for what he said. He did have a bad playoff record. He did throw nineteen interceptions. He did. This is this is all true. All all true. But what what are you doing, Dion? Like, is it okay for Romo now to go and talk about uh, the craziness with you and your wife and her calling the cops and that that kind of stuff, or the fact that? Because Des Bryant had dinner with you and your agent, he got, sus- and he lied about it. He got kicked off the team at Oklahoma State. Like, how personal can we go now that you've gone personal on Tony Romo? What a jerk. And again, this is me saying, like, Deion Sanders is, without any question, in my lifetime, the best cover corner. And I actually think he's really good on TV. I don't think he's great with the interview stuff because it's all about him and whatever. He's brilliant in regards to his ability to relay, relay a point on football, he is incredibly well-respected. You ask any of these guys who are uh, cornerbacks, and you're like, who's the GOAT? They'll all say Deion Sanders. None of them will say otherwise. But, like, what a jerk. Be
2: sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app.
1: Some people are just not good at firing up other people. Some people are just not good at at uh, at public speaking. Like tomorrow, I'm going to do the show from Stillwater, Oklahoma. Now I'm doing, don't laugh, the School of Business, they have a conference on ethics, so I'm talking about business ethics. I have no idea what I'm going to talk about tomorrow. <laughs> no, I'm not, like, Ramos is laughing. I really don't know. Like, I've been trying to, I usually work it out in my head, jot down a couple notes, right? But when the red light goes on or somebody says go, I know about how long to talk, about how to do it. Tell them a joke, um, and I'll figure it out. But not everybody's good at this, and it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Right? Not just not everybody's good at press conferences and analogies. Like here's Cam Newton. Trying to analogize his team continuing to push ahead, even though they trade away Calvin Benjamin.
0: You know, yeah, we just lost a great player, but nevertheless, you know, the 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 Titanic still has to go.
1: Um Um the Titanic sunk Cam. I don't know how like are, are you trying to tell me that Kelvin Benjamin was an iceberg dead ahead and no one realized the damage done by the by the tear in the hull left behind from Kelvin Benjamin being traded away.
0: You know, yeah, we just lost a great player. But nevertheless, you know, the 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 Titanic still has to
1: go. Yeah, I don't even think that's close to the parallel you want to make. Yeah, no. I'm going to go out and limb here and say that uh, Cam does not realize the Titanic sunk, nor has he ever seen the movie Titanic. There's no way. Iceberg dead ahead! I'm not an idiot. I know how the world works. But, listen, he doesn't have to be good at analogies. He doesn't. Just don't make them. Don't make them. It's like Not Funny Guy trying to crack a joke. Hey, look, Jameis Winston got all that credit for... Um, uh, remember when he went back to Florida State's game to start the year, going back to last year? it's like y'all, y'all some puppies. Y'all playing like puppies. We some dogs. Remember that? We some dogs. And because that was so well-received, because it was so well-received, he chose to give another impassioned pregame speech that was caught on camera by our Fox TV crew.
0: I want everybody to look at me. I'm going to pass to coin after I say one thing. That's a W. That's E1. That's
1: E one. That's a W. How many people want to eat a W tonight? Yeah. How would I eat a W? Tonight? Yeah. Is he concussed? He can't go CTE because he's like in his third year in the NFL. Like if you're post career, you're like, man, I'm sorry, I got I got a little CTE sitting in, right? Or I was concussed. That was before the game. Before anybody laid a hand on him. That was the that was the Tarski. That was the Bluto coming in saying, "Was it over when the Germans bro- bombed Pearl Harbor?" He's on a roll. Oh, oh, yeah, by the way, they also got blown out by the uh, New Orleans Saints. Some people aren't good at pregame speeches. Some guys aren't good at the podium thing. What really matters is are you good on third down and good in the red zone.
2: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at FoxSportsRadio.com and within the iHeartRadio app.
1: Let's welcome in Brian Baldinger. Does a great job over in the NFL networking, He joins us on the Doug Gottlieb Show. It's not. Is it crazy for those of us who didn't play, who aren't experts, to say, hey, I watch Kaepernick, and I know not all athletic quarterbacks are the same, but he does have some experience. He did run kind of a creative offense in college. There's some creativity at times in San Francisco. Is it crazy to think he could be the best possible option out there for the Texans?
0: That's not crazy to think of that right now, Doug. Uh, you know, Deshaun Watson was on a pace that we've never seen before. Um, 17 touchdown passes in his time. I and mean, the offense that he was running isn't the offense that they prepared for and ran in the spring and the summer. I mean, it was catering to Deshaun Watson and it was changing weekly. And, um, you know, his ability to see the field, to extend plays, all that stuff was, you know, it was phenomenal. It was great to watch. Great, great theater. That game in Seattle was as good a game as we played in the NFL this year. Uh, and that offense continued to expand because of the abilities that Deshaun Watson kept displaying. Is it ridiculous to think that Colin Kaepernick could do some of those things? No, it's not ridiculous to think that at all.
1: But they haven't picked up the phone. And so to this point, it's Tom Savage. It's McGloin. It's TJ Yates. It's guys who are either familiar with O'Brien or familiar with Houston, which is kind of par, kind of normal for the course in the NFL. Normal for the course, really, in any business, right? You hire the guys that you know, know yeah, how you, you operate. you always
0: connect the dots, Doug. You always connect the dots. I mean, Yates took him to, he was in a playoff game with them, and Savage, you know, was in the playoffs last year and started the season this year. You go with what you kind of know. All that stuff is, is true, and it's fair. Now, look, I, I know people in this league that don't think Colin Kaepernick is very good. And he wouldn't be a great backup if he had to go into Houston and be a great backup, where he's got to help the starter until he becomes a, a chance to become a starter. I mean, I, I know guys that believe that, that believe he's not ever going to be accurate enough to be a real good player in this league. That's just coming from people that have coached him and played with him. That doesn't mean that he can't add a spark to the Houston Texans right now, a team that looks like they desperately need one.
1: Tend to agree with you. Doug Gottlieb, show, but we'll, we'll, we, shall, we shall see what they do. Um, what happened to Kansas City? I know they've had some injuries um, on, on both sides of the football. I mean, I think the Eric Berry injury is still one that will always hurt you because he's arguably the best at his position in the sport. But I watched them against the Cowboys. Cowboys get Sean Lee back. They get David Irving back. And they appear to be improving as opposed to Kansas City seems to be leveling off, losing three over their last four. What's happened to Kansas City?
0: Well, let's see. There's a lot of things that have gone on. I mean, one is Dallas is a a totally different team defensively when Sean Lee's in the game. I mean, he's just one of those guys that gets everybody lined up. If you don't block him, he'll make every play in the run game. I mean, He's just a computer out there, and he gets to the football. They're a better defense when he's on the field. They're a good offense. They're a really good offense. And that's a tough team to defend. And Dak Prescott, you know, made a lot of really good throws yesterday. Des Bryant got involved. Cole Beasley got in the end zone for a couple times. They're tough to stop. Kansas City has been beat up up front. They still have not played with Laurent DuVernay-Tardif. Uh, they were out with, they were out with uh, their center, Mitch Morris, for a long time. He's back now. He's getting back in his shape. Uh, they're not getting the big plays that they were getting earlier. They're not getting Kareem Hunt, who was on pace for well over 2,000 total yards. They're not getting him loose the way they once were. I thought they ran into a pretty good football team on a short week uh, yesterday afternoon, and I think that was part of it.
1: Brian Baldinger joining us on the Doug Gottlieb Show here on the Fox Sports Radio. Uh, Cam Newton had a much better game than he had had previously with Calvin Benjamin, but they did so using him as their lead running back. Uh, How much longevity does that have? I mean, like, look, we've seen so many athletic quarterbacks get hit, get beat up. I know he was sliding, and he's sliding well before contact, but I'm just, I'm just wondering if you can do that for the entirety of an NFL season.
0: I don't know. I mean, he's been beat up before. He was 15-1 doing that, scoring 10 touchdowns two years ago, and the MVP of the league. Um, if you try to protect Cam Newton from getting hit, from getting injured, I just think you're wasting your time. I mean, part of what makes him so unique is his size and his running ability. He's an excellent runner. He's hard to tackle. He wears defenses down. If you're going to just keep throwing screens and checkdowns to Christian McCaffrey and gaining six yards, you're, you're not going to get the chunks you need. You're not going to get the third down conversions you need. Either. They're a more difficult offense to defend when Cam Newton is a viable runner. Now, will that act, will that catch up to him? It might, but I don't think that they're going to get to the playoffs unless they act and use. Cam Newton in the running game right now. I don't think they're going to come out of the NFC South uh, with New Orleans out there right now. Uh, I know Atlanta's struggling, but I don't believe they'll come out of winning that division unless Cam Newton is a big part of that offense, and that is being a runner as well as what he does throwing it.
1: Uh, h- help me out with, with what's happened to Dirk Cutter and if there's any similarities in what's happened to, to Ben McAdoo. And, look, I started the show, he talking about, look, so the – a lot of these coaches now were quarterback whisperers, offensive coordinators, from, from Jay Gruden, uh, even Doug Peterson. I know he wasn't calling plays in Kansas City, but I mean, he was in large part to help fix their quarterback situation, and that has worked. But the ones that have worked have been guys that have gone other places as opposed to Cutter going from the quarterback guru to being the head coach. Ben McAdoo, kind of the exact same thing. Is it about changing locations so that people – don't, don't liken you to the same guy who was the coordinator, now being the head coach? Or is it about the personnel that's really brought down the Buccaneers, brought down the Giants?
0: I'm, I'm, I'm shocked by both teams. I really am, Doug. I saw, I saw Tampa in the preseason, and I saw all the new additions. I saw the attitude. I saw the coaching. I saw it all. and I, I'm shocked. I mean, I was shocked the way I was shocked by Carolina's downfall a year ago. All the tools are there. Jameis is not making the same plays that he made a year ago. And they're turning the ball over too much. I saw him up in Buffalo with a chance to win the game two weeks ago. And they made, you know, they fumbled late in the fourth quarter with a chance to go win the game. They're making the plays that are costing them games right now. And the offense has never gotten into gear. It's never clicked this season. And I don't know, like, it's still, you know, still got half a season to go, but Sometimes you find it. They found it last year in the middle of the season. They won five in a row. They made a a run to the playoffs. They lost to Dallas, and they kind of got bounced out. But they looked like a team that was on the rise. But last year has nothing to do with this year. They just haven't clicked yet. Deshaun Jackson, Michael Evans, O.J. Howard, all the pieces they brought there to really surround themselves with Janus and give them the best possible weapons you could get, it hasn't clicked. Is that Dirk Cotter? I mean, it's the same offense as last year. They're just not making the plays this year.
1: Um, New Orleans started out 0-2, and I left them for dead. I just did. Uh, you know, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the defense has You know been... why
0: you did, though, Doug? You know why you left them for dead? Because of what they've done the last three or four years. You're like, ah, oh, it's the same old Saints. No defense. That's, I mean, and that's not, you're not wrong. You're not wrong at all by saying that after two games. But so it's a totally different defense. It's a totally different defense. Marshawn Lattimore, he is such a spark right now, Doug. He is the best corner I've seen coming in this league since Darrell Rebus. Wow. Period. He you can give him a third of the field, a half of the field. It's not just cornerback play. He is football smart. He understands how you attack. He knows when to lay off. He's a tackler. Now, you add Sheldon Rankins and Cam Jordan, right? You add some Onyatta, and you add, you know, Von Bell and, you know, you look at Kenny Vaccaro. They look like he had him on a trading block five weeks ago. He's a valuable play. Defensively, right now, they've sparked this turnaround.
1: I know that the Broncos went into Philadelphia and the, and the Eagles have a tremendous front seven. The Broncos' offensive line is not good. Not good. Um, but. I mean, how can John Elway strike out on so many quarterbacks? Right, like Paxton Lynch isn't healthy, but there's a reason that they didn't hand the hand the ball to Paxton Lynch to start the season. How how can the Broncos swing and miss on so many quarterbacks?
0: I'll say this too, Doug. I did that game for national radio today, and I was talking to a high-ranking Eagle personnel person, and quote unquote, he said this about Brock Osweiler: he stinks. And he did yesterday. His job yesterday was to manage the game. Defensively, they were hoping to be able to stay in the game and have Brock Osweiler hand it off to a pretty good rushing attack, you know, and not turn the ball over. And in the first quarter, he turns turns the ball over on a terrible throw. And the Eagles took it and scored. And, you know, and they just kept piling on. He had two terrible throws for interceptions. Probably should have another one picked. He's... And the Eagles, Jim Schwartz knows that at six foot eight, he's a long strider. He doesn't throw up his back foot. You know, he has to step into his throws. And if you bring pressure right into his face, I mean, he's done. And that's what they did. They ran the pressure. They put Fletcher Cox in the center. They put linebackers in the A-gaps. They came right at him. And if he can't step into his throws, he's not effective. And he wasn't effective yesterday. And how John Elway keeps striking out on this, I don't know. It seemed like Tony Romo was available. And they didn't want any part. Now I like what Tony's doing in the booth right now, Doug. But if you'd ask Tony Romo back in March, you want to go quarterback the Denver Broncos and get a ring just the way Peyton Manning did. It looked like there was a lot of pieces in place there, and they decided not to do it. So, you know, I mean, that's John is is a smart man, but you're not making good decisions at that position
1: right now. Last last thing, Rams hang fifty one on the Giants. We talked about what a disaster the Giants are for just a little bit. Um, but it sure feels like every piece that they've added has, has worked for the Rams and like, look, buys come at the right time and they're really one Cooper cup catch away from being uh seven and one on the season. Um, what's your reaction to the Rams complete turnaround?
0: Well, I mean, it, the, you know, the biggest addition to that entire organization, is Sean McVay, I mean, he's just look, John Gruden was a 32 year old head coach and John Madden was a 32-year-old head coach, and Sean McVay is of the same ilk. He is that guy. He's a difference maker. His design of offense is with the precision of a diamond cutter. And it is beautiful to watch. And Jared Goff is a completely different quarterback. And the offense makes sense. He changed the offense after the second week of the season when he realized that uh, Todd Gurley was not going to be a shotgun spread offense, running back. You had to put him seven and a half, eight yards deep, put Jared Goff under center. He changed that. He fixed that. He got Todd Gurley fixed. Play action passes off it. He fixed his quarterback. He's taken castaways from Buffalo and Robert Woods and Sammy Watkins, and these guys are bona fide players, and Cooper Cup was the missing piece to work the middle of the field. Gerald Everett is a big-time, deep threat, and he could do a lot of other things. They added the left tackle. They fixed the offense, Sean McVay. If you don't want to give Coach of the Year to Doug Peterson right now, they get to Sean McVay. But those two guys right now have fixed these teams.
1: You can hear him on National Radio on Westwood One. Of course, he played 11 seasons in the National Football League. He's a must-follow on Twitter, at BaldyNFL where he posts videos and gives you breakdowns unlike anybody other. Just hashtag Breakdown. Brian, great stuff. Thanks so much for joining us and giving us your incredible insight.
2: All right.
0: My pleasure, Doug. Anytime, buddy.
2: Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app.
1: Look, there's been a lot of discussions about the Giants and what's wrong with them and 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 Jerry Reese, their general manager, should not avoid should not avoid um, uh, the criticism because though Odell Beckham Jr. got hurt, and though Odell Beckham Jr. is a polarizing figure. Odell Beckham Jr. is not responsible for how many other putrid draft choices they have made over the past couple years and their inability to fix the offensive line. They fix the defense going back to last year and this this past offseason. They tried to fix the offensive line. They, They could not do it, did not do it. It's just not better. It's just not good enough. What's fascinating to me, fascinating to me, though, is how some will defend OBJ. And say like, look, he's got nothing to do with their downfall. It's not his fault that he got hurt. But if you don't think that he's a divisive force, look at how, uh, I mean, look, his desire to be a megastar, his desire to push the envelope as to celebrations and flamboyance and getting into to wrestling matches and fights with other players and and arguing on the sideline. Those those things, those things bring attention to your club and those things cause a head coach to have to decide, like, do I punish my best player or do I stand by him and support him and talk to him behind closed doors? But the problem is that you are a reflection. Every team, every coach will tell you this, this uh, inarguable fact. You're a reflection of your best player, your most talented player. You are a reflection of them. A reflection of them. And when Odell Beckham Jr. Is a megastar. And yet he scores a touchdown and he pees on the ball. When he constantly needs attention, when he constantly needs affection, his desire is he gets it out there. He wants the biggest contract in the history of the sport. Instead of, look, the proper way to do it is, hey, you know what? I just keep playing football. Everything's going to take care of itself. That's what Aaron Rodgers did. You don't think Aaron Rodgers wants the biggest contract in the history of the sport. Of course he does. You don't think he deserves it. Of course he does far more so than LBJ. But what did he say? Hey, I, I just keep playing. That stuff always takes care of itself. And it's true with Odell Beckham Jr. But instead you put it out there, you leak it out there. That stuff doesn't get out there unless you want it out there. By the way, becomes more of a polarizing figure. polarizing figure. And that's not good when you're the wide receiver. Wide receivers are always uh, allowed a little bit more space in trash talking. A little more space in flamboyance. But there does come a place when flamboyance becomes annoyance and that's what he got to before he got hurt in spite of his immense talent. And he's a crazy talent.
2: Kia, movement that inspires.
1: Call 800 333 4Kia for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10 year 100,000 mile powertrain and 5 year 60,000 mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm Viosa And I'm Mala. We are the creators
3: of
4: Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novela, which is a fancy way of saying. A a podcast. podcast.
3: Welcome to Locatora Radio, season 9. Love Love at first first
4: listen. listen.